Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, and I know firsthand how much confusing and conflicting information there is out there about how we assess and treat swallowing disorders. This podcast is all about bringing everyone together, getting on the same page, being open to new ideas, and using evidence-based treatment strategies for our patients with dysphagia. So let's get into it. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. This is episode 79 of the Swallier Pride podcast, and today's guest is Taylor Evans. He's an SLP based in Atlanta, Georgia. He works in acute inpatient rehab as a floor lead SLP and dysphagia consultant. He specializes in swallowing, tracheostomized patients, and non-English speaking and bilingual patients. He graduated from the University of Georgia with a master's in SLP and undergraduate degrees in linguistics and romance languages. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. I haven't kind of chatted into the microphone in a while, but I got a lot to say today, so I will. (laughs) So I hope everybody that had a chance to go to DRS, the Dysphagia Research Society meetings in San Diego last week, had a wonderful time. I unfortunately was not able to go this year, which I was super, super bummed about because I've been totally looking forward to it for the longest time. I helped out with with a paper with Dr. Brodsky and Dr. Rosemary Martino, and there was a group of people from Hopkins and a group from the University of Toronto and my good pal Yvette McCoy, and it was an awesome scoping review of the 30 years of the dysphagia journal, and I know Dr. Brodsky put together an awesome presentation, so I was really bummed to not be there to see that, but I heard it was great, so everybody that sent me pictures, (laughs) I really appreciate it, so thank you, I had major FOMO there. But a couple of announcements, this month... In the MedSLP Collective, we are doing a live hands-on webinar uh, with John Hollihan, who is the founder of Simply Thick. He is going to be walking us through IDSI implementation. So in May of 2019, IDSI is supposed to be rolled out in your facilities, and that is endorsed by both ASHA and the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. The big confusion is how. So how is that all going to happen? How do you do IDC? What does it all mean? So uh, John is on the implementation committee, and he is going to come do a hands-on webinar for the MedSLP Collective. So how does that work? Well, he is going to be supplying materials uh, for everybody that signs up for this webinar. So that being said, I know, Teresa, I'm not in the MedSLP Collective, but I'd love to come to the webinar. Great. We are having a flash opening of the MedSLP Collective Tuesday through Thursday of this week. So Tuesday, March 12th through Thursday, March 14th. So if you are interested in attending this webinar, joining the MedSLP Collective, uh, then please join us in the next two days. Go to MedSLPCollective.com and join. We'd love to have you in the membership. It's It's been great. We've had some awesome resources, some awesome speakers, uh, some great webinars for CEUs. This webinar will be live and it will be for ASHA CEUs as well. So I hope you join us there. Also, I want to let you know that for the rest of March, we are are offering that MedBridge deal again. So if you've been wanting to get a MedBridge membership, hear all of those awesome talks by tons of great researchers, clinicians in our field. Uh, they have some great handouts there too. You can go to MedBridge Education forward slash SYP or use promo code SYP at checkout. And I do get a small commission when you use that code. And that goes right towards keeping this podcast going. But 
that allows you to get the premium package for the cost of the uh, standard site. So I think you save something like 300 bucks. It's a great steal. So, okay. So last but not least, I wanted to tell you about some courses coming up by my buddy, Walt Fritz. So funny, the people you meet in podcast land and come to find out we don't live very far from each other. So it's nice to actually meet Walt in person. I know a lot of people have been raving about his courses. So he has a course called Foundations and Myofascial Release Seminar for Neck, Voice, and Swallowing Disorders. And he was on the podcast way back in the early days. I believe his episode is in the teens. I'm sorry, I don't have it right in front of me. But his course is working from a strong evidence base and unique patient-centered approach to evaluation and treatment. His seminars have been well-received in the U.S. and abroad. He introduces a manual therapy style of engagement to therapists with no experience in manual therapy as well as seasoned pros. The introductory seminar covers a range of areas and techniques with value for the SLP working with swallowing voice, both dysfunctional as well as performance voice, and a range of issues such as globus and breath issues. So go to www.waltfritz.com, and if you enter the code SWALLOWYOURPRIDE, it's all one word at checkout, you get a 10% discount from the website. I also do get a small commission, again, that goes back to keeping this podcast going if you use that SWALLOWYOURPRIDE promo code. So thanks, Walt, for offering that to everybody. I know that I need to, (laughs) I've been dying to go to one of those courses, so check that out. I think that's all I have to blab about today. Uh, This episode with Taylor is great. He's one of my most favorite people. He was one of the presenters at my Inner Circle Leadership Retreat in Atlanta a few weeks ago, and and I just love his perspective on things. So this, we did end up making this a two-part episode because Taylor and I could blab on for forever. So uh, this will be followed up next week as well. Hi, Taylor. Hey, Teresa. How are you? Doing fantastic. Oh, good. I just saw you a few days ago. I know it's been such a long time. It has. Thank you so much. So I'll say a little bit. I had, I created this inner circle leadership group and I had a retreat this past weekend in Atlanta with 30 other wonderful medical SLPs that are all just kicking ass in this field and doing some amazing things. And Taylor came to talk to the group and I know how cool he is, but after everybody was like, oh my God, I just loved everything he had to say. So yeah, so it just so happens that we have this already scheduled too. So I'm so glad that you're back again, Taylor. So hopefully the rest of podcast land realizes how cool you are too. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. It was fantastic. They had great questions. I think I learned a lot just in the parts that I was there before I spoke. And then afterwards, great idea. And I mean, Atlanta's Atlanta's a great place to have it. So It was. It was fun. I just needed to get out of snowy Buffalo. I'm in like the worst like seasonal funk of life right now. And I'm like, I hate snow. Why do I live here? I was going to ask you about that. If, like if, how that was going back after being down here. It's kind it's of terrible. Been, it's kind of been Portlanta this winter. <laughs> it's just been nothing but rain and no sunshine, but it hasn't been that cold. So yeah. Yeah. We had like an hour of sun today and I just wanted to go like run up and down the street. It was wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, that was it. So anyways, if people don't know who you are, Taylor, tell the people who you are. Uh, My name is Taylor Evans. I graduated from the University of Georgia with a master's in speech language pathology. Before that, though, I was an interpreter and a linguist, studied linguistics, romance languages, and somehow stumbled into the medical field and found something else to be a nerd about. So yay. Yeah. Uh, now I work at a inpatient rehab, acute inpatient rehab in Atlanta full time. And I, I don't know 
if I ever want to leave rehab, honestly, I love it. Yeah. There are, you know, things about other levels of care that are attractive, but rehab, it's just, I don't know. It's just something new every day. I don't think I'll get bored anytime soon. And that's like, that's how I am with like skilled nursing facilities. Like that's how I am in Sniffland. Like, you know, people love to bash it and say how horrible it is. And I'm like, no, like you people just have not found a good sniff because they do exist and I love them and I don't ever see myself not working in them. So they do exist, but they don't just come out of nowhere. It takes excellent people working together to make it happen. Can't just be one person. Right. All right. So what are we going to talk about today, Taylor? So I kind of noticed that there have been other podcast episodes about, you know, specific different levels of care. Like I think there's some, maybe two on palliative care, one about the rural SLP, the uh, acute care, pediatric, ICU. And I kind of was like, oh my God, where's the rehab? Where's like the (laughs) bread and butter? (laughs) I think I'm the bread and butter, but... (laughs) Um, where's the explanation of that? But in, in the sense that what I think a lot of people were taught, uh, inpatient rehab is and what it was several years ago or what their notions of it may be, might be shocking if they, you know, heard what's actually going on and what it's really like and what can be accomplished in that time. Well, and I think I I love that you were saying there's so many questions about things because I think even when I was just talking to you about about coming on and doing this episode, like for me, I have no idea how long people stay in inpatient rehab. And I know that it used to be months, then it was like down to weeks. Now it is getting longer again. So I know that there's such a wide variability and there's, you know, of course, people just like to put these like blanket general statements on things like well, we can't get that done in acute care. We can't get that done in inpatient rehab. And now you're finding that you really do have some time to dig in and make some serious progress with these patients. Right. And so that that's the, every, you know, level kind of has their gripe or their limitation or their thing that, oh, if I only had this, you know, for home health, sometimes it's instrumentation for outpatient, it might be the same or access to equipment, acute care, it's time and really availability just to get at the patient even if you do have, even if you, the SLP, have time. But yeah, that's one of the places I wanted to start was kind of changes in inpatient rehab. There definitely has been this shift from where people could stay three, four, six months, depending on their diagnosis. And there was kind of this way to project or predict how long, you know, someone was going to stay based on diagnosis and a combination of their comorbidities and acuity level. And what we've seen over the years is just that window of time to to be in rehab has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. And some of it's driven by this outcomes-based measure system that we have adopted with these kind of objective yet subjective rating scales and percentages of how they're progressing. And of course, there's incentive, especially for Medicare and Medicaid supplying facilities to put out data, you know, that the, their patients are making progress and improvement and not to say that people are skewing that data but maybe you know we are just in general the medical field of rehab has gotten better and that maybe has led insurance to believe oh they're getting better so they don't need to stay as long when in actuality you and i and everybody else kind of knows the human body hasn't changed (laughs) at all the healing process can be sped up a little bit but there's just so much there's only so much the body can do in a certain amount of time no matter what we throw at it 
It's all our magic wand therapy that we're doing. Totally. I mean, I went to Harry Potter World and got a wand, but I've never brought it to work, and I don't think it would work there. It might. Your patients might go home even faster. Right. (laughs) And the other part of it is that they're coming to us a lot sooner. They're not just spending less time with us. They are coming to us sometimes, and where I work, I would say a lot of the time, directly from the ICU or they've only been out of the ICU for one day, maybe. So these patients are coming to us with a much, much higher acuity than what would have been seen in years past and in higher volumes. There's this push for decreasing the length of stay, but also you know, early intervention. I think it's a mixture of that, getting patients you know, up and moving and eating and talking and starting the healing process. But somewhere in the midst of those changes, there's been this loss of how much time they have to make those improvements. And hopefully as you know, we get better at intervening earlier and getting all the information that we need earlier, we can start treating faster. What do you, what do you think it is, Taylor? Do you think that it's just the facilities? Like, Do you think it's literally just the payment model driven, just trying to decrease length of stay? Or do you think it is that we really are intervening sooner? So we're able to get them better a little bit faster and get them out. I think it's a combination, which that's a really boring answer, but it's kind of the truth. No. And, and on one hand, yes, there's this clinical kind of rationale to, with all this data that we have about what we can do earlier. But my question to that, or my opposition to that would be, does that mean that we need to change the setting that they're in? Can they get that same kind of early intervention from acute care SLPs that probably would love to get in there and spend more time with their patients, see a little bit more progress and be able to really get all of the the true diagnostic picture of what's going on with the patient before they go on to rehab? So I I think that there's a mixture of that, but then also there is this kind of, you know, payment driven benefit and also just your ability to report with with social media and the internet and everyone's access into what everybody else is doing, how they're doing, like the Yelp of medical care providers basically has kind of motivated everyone to show these kinds of data that, you know, one might intuit would be reflective of better care, but sometimes it may or may not be. And it just depends on the patient, on the physician, and what the team has agreed on. But there are some core general basic requirements to go to inpatient that still have to be met. For almost every inpatient rehab facility that I'm aware of, the patient has to be clinically indicated for at least two out of three disciplines between PT, OT, and speech. So someone with, you know, just some hand trauma or something like that that has no issue with their gait might be released straight from acute care to go to outpatient. Uh, If there are any OTs out there that, you know, say, no, that's wrong, please let me know. Um, But I don't see that a whole lot. So that's the other thing is that they don't necessarily require speech. Every patient in the facility where I work doesn't get speech. And that's part of the, the, the staffing issues and the hustle of being in inpatient rehab is your caseload ebbs and flows. There's 72 beds in the building. There might be 40 
on speech caseload, and then two months later, it could be 18. So it really kind of varies quite a bit. One, some of the other basic rules, uh, this three-hour rule, which anyone that works in inpatient rehab just rolled their eyes because we hear it every single day. It basically states that a patient has to complete three hours of therapy a day, six out of seven days a week. This kind of comes from Medicare standards for what they have you know, deemed a sufficient intensity level for inpatient rehab facilities or IRFs, IRFs. And different facilities do this in different ways. And I think that it's kind of cool and interesting. I wish there were more, you know, just general rehab studies about these different therapy models where some are doing it one hour OT, one hour PT, one hour speech. Some are really, truly on a day-to-day basis adjusting their minutes based on the patient's needs. And some use group models. There's been this big push, especially from Medicare, I believe, to incorporate group therapy when it's appropriate, because there's some data that shows, you know, social interaction, therapeutic distractions, social support and emotional support from patients can be really beneficial um, when implemented correctly. Do you do any group therapy, Taylor? I do, actually. I was going to talk about that. We actually have a couple of groups that go on at my facility. There's communication for aphasia, apraxia, dysarthria, voice, just for them to practice using their strategies, kind of get social support for seeing what works for other patients and kind of the awareness that, oh, I'm not the only one in this building that has this issue. Oh my gosh, there's other people around here. And this guy over here is struggling way more than me. And this one over here is way better than I am. And it kind of, you know, kind of shows them the progression. But it, I mean, and the funny thing is, is that we're communication specialists and sometimes we limit ourselves to this one-on-one conversation with a person and that's not how communication works all the time. So what? I know, right? Using a group, but it can't, just makes sense to me, especially if you're wanting to expand their goals and see how they interact in that kind of setting. Yeah. So um, a little bit more just about like the requirements for it. There is a rest day component sometimes. <laughs> uh, if a patient is compliant, meaning that they've met the, the set minute standard for what they have to meet, sometimes if they aren't able to meet their therapy minutes for that day because of a medical appointment or because of refusal or some kind of medical complication or medical hold. So there's lots of running around trying to make up minutes or switch sessions with other people or figuring out where they're going to be in their day. And these patients are so acute. A lot of the times they have multiple appointments for radiation, chemo, uh, you know, the orthopedist, the, I mean, all kinds of specialty consults, hemodialysis, wound care that you have to figure into what time you want to see the patient. And then if you're actually able to do that. So it's, it's not the totally, totally medically stable, ready for therapy and therapy only setting that some people might think it is. There's still a lot of this ongoing treatment, diagnostics, um, and specialist physicians seeing them throughout the day while they have to fit in their therapy. So some of the, the common barriers, a lot of them still have wounds, very fresh wounds that have just started to be treated, pain is a big one. Sometimes they're still trying to figure out the best pain management. 
for them to be functional and that's changing throughout the day. So their pain management needs change. The medications are changing. So sometimes tracking how a patient is moving along and staying on top of what their medications are doing for them versus what your therapy might be doing for them or how you might need to adjust. Are you involved in that, Taylor? Like, do you know what kind of meds they're on and are you recommending changes or things if you see them? Yes. And that is the, that's the coolest thing about inpatient rehab that I think, or or PMNR physical medicine rehab is that it's, it's so much more of a team specialty built model where I don't feel like there's a hierarchical order of physician and then everyone below them. It truly is an even playing field and everyone gets a say. It's very democratic in in that way. We have weekly, bi-weekly round meetings where everyone, the physician, the attending and the uh, residents, me, the OT, the PT, the neuropsychologist, the dietitian, the case manager, the chaplain, the recreation therapist, the respiratory therapist. I mean, it's, it's awesome. It's a great like round table where everybody that has something to say is allotted a time to say it and to discuss it and can pipe up and say, what about this? And I mean, it really makes the process so much easier that we get to take the time out to do that. But medications wise, yes, everyone has their, their hand in the pot about, you know, this guy's tone is out of control or pain management really isn't working or this guy just isn't staying awake. Can we talk about a neurostimulant or he's not eating and it's affecting how he's doing in, in his therapy and energy cycle. Can we start an appetite stimulant or mood is an issue. And it, I, I don't, I feel like everyone is allowed or permitted to have that input and it doesn't have to be, Oh, I'm not the neuropsychologist, so I can't say anything about, mood or antidepressants. It's informative of how everyone's discipline is impacting the other, if that answers your question. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think it it goes along kind of what you talked to our group about this earlier in the week is just, there are so many, you know, everyone's like afraid to like walk on eggshells, you know, like everyone wants to walk on eggshells. They're afraid to like bring these things up to the physician. Like that's not our role. That's not our scope of practice, you know, but it's like, it's not like you're literally getting out the pad of paper and writing this person a prescription, you know, it's like, it's like just having the conversation with the doctor, like the doctor doesn't know what you need unless you say you need it. You know, some, these doctors aren't working with these patients for three hours a day. They have no idea if their, you know, pain isn't managed or if they can't stay awake, you know. Exactly. I mean, they, they're doing, you know, morning rounds for maybe 10, 15 minutes, a patient if that, or it may just be the resident or maybe the resident and the attending. And they're managing so many patients who, again, their medications are constantly changing. They're going to all these appointments. And so I understand why they need to be at a place where they can take in all the incoming information and spend a lot of time reading. And I'm not jealous of them at all, but it really is this kind of standpoint where their scope is the medication part of it and the medical management of what needs to be done. And they see that the same as any other discipline. And if there's some kind of interaction, it's you say something about it. And I don't know, maybe I'm not, you know, maybe that's not 
everywhere, or maybe I just have fantastic physicians that I work with, but it's not just me. It's, I mean, the, my OTPT partners, very blunt. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, cause there, there's a lot of facilities that I'll just say to the doctor, like, I think we rec- need to recommend, you know, PPI. I think we need to do something like that. Just, you know, based on what I see and no one thinks twice about it. Right. You know? So then I think it's interesting. I have conversations with people, with people and they're like, well, the doctor said that I can't make medication decisions. It's like, you're not making the decision, ding dong. You're just right. bringing it to their attention. Like, hey, I think they may benefit from it based on the things I'm seeing constantly. And that's typically what I would say to other SLPs or, or clinicians in general that would say that is, well, you're not picking the medication. You're not setting a dosage. You're not setting a frequency. That is the specialty of the physician. You're saying there's this problem I think there are medications that might impact it. You pick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just how they do uh, eval and treat orders for us. They don't know exactly what we need to do to fix it. They just know that speech pathology might be able to help out. So have at it. Here's your order. You figure yeah. it out. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the perfect analogy. So let's see. I also kind of wanted to give like a a typical timeline and what the patient goes through a little bit more from the patient perspective of what does rehab really look like and I'm kind of going to talk about it in the scope of dysphagia just because of you know that's what the podcast is about and it's my favorite so basically day one and different facilities do this differently the patient may or may not actually get any therapy on the first day some will kind of do arena evaluations. I don't know if you've like ever experienced or heard of that. It's, I've been somewhere where they do this and it's really cool. It's basically PT, OT, and speech all go in, see the patient at the same time for a while. And it's, it's really, really cool to see how their command following, how your things might actually impact somebody else else's discipline, but you're not getting all the information you need, but it's kind of a meet and greet and getting the lay of the land so that the next day you really know what you want to look at. If not, the first day, basically the physicians and the nurses will admit them. There's a bunch of screens performed. It typically is inclusive of a dysphagia screen. Um, every facility probably has something different. If you're working in inpatient rehab and there's not a dysphagia screen, I would say on day one, that would be something that I would you know start at. It's a great place to get referrals and make sure that your patients aren't being held MPO waiting for you to evaluate them the next day. But if they're MPO, it means they can never swallow again anyways, Taylor. So not with me. Yes. We'll, we'll get something if it's, you know, two and a half ice chips with a head turn, chin tuck and three swallows, we're going to get it. All right. (laughs) Um, So our dysphagia screens might be something like the Yale Swallow Protocol, three-ounce water challenge, may just be a general assessment of secretion management. Typically, and where I've worked, a fail may result in an immediate MPO order unless they have had a SLP order their diet from the previous facility, if we have the documentation of that, which I think is really cool. Um, it's that we're not starting all over and, you know, slowing down their process. Anyone on, and this is important. I can't believe somebody asked me this the other day, but I was like, oh my gosh, I wonder how many nurses have had this question. Anyone on thickened liquids doesn't get the three ounce water challenge. 
can, can you imagine trying to do three ounces of honey thick liquid at one time? Like, yeah. I don't think I would pass that. I think I would really, really struggle. That's interesting. I thought, I thought you meant like, okay, you've been on honey thick liquids for nine months. Here's three ounces of thin water. Go chug it. No, I mean, like I discovered that some people took it as whatever liquid level they're on. I have to give them three. Oh ounces. my God. Yeah. 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 And I'm like, Whoa, <laughs> please not do that. But I'm, I'm kind of interested what the data would be on that. You know, if anyway, yeah, I mean, it'd be an automatic fail because there's no way like you could, right. I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's like physiologically possible to chug three ounces of honey thick liquid without stopping. Right. Like <laughs> You got to have great respiratory. Yeah. I was going to say you need to breathe. To hold yeah. that breath for that long. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be a fun party, party trick to do Taylor. Yeah, for, like a, like kind of like a jello <laughs> shot, I guess. Yeah. Let's see. So day two would typically be your evaluation day. The big thing about this is time limitations. So there can be up to four different, maybe more um, specific ST orders from the physician that you have to do that first day. And where I work, we use a, a group model. So they get four sessions a day, 45 minutes of each discipline and 45 minutes of a group. And okay, there are cool. other, lots of other facilities that will kind of do that. If a group is, is indicated, if not, then they'll just get an extra session of something one-on-one. So the first day, you may have 45 minutes to assess communication, cognition, do a trach eval, do passing your speaking valve trials, and your swallow evaluation in 45 minutes. All of it. All of it. Go. And it's, I mean, people, and if you're like, yeah, but I mean, like this is, it's a little different because it's rehab. You're trying to like set goals and you have a limited amount of time and you don't have a, you don't want to spend too much time, you know, trying to get through everything. You could spend four days doing evaluations that way if you, if it wasn't efficient. So you have 45 minutes basically to complete all those evals. If each order is given, review plan care, change diet orders, strategies, precautions, and then usually immediately go right next to the next patient. I see six to seven patients before lunch, back to back, and like don't drink any water. So <laughs> you can't. There's no way. No, I'm just kidding. I definitely do. Let's see. It's more diet coke than water, but got to keep going. <laughs> so the diet orders may be effective for the very next meal, or may be effective for dinner which is always interesting for me to think about if I'm changing them on the day of a vow that they're going to have their first meal on that new diet level without any kind of, you know, supervision whatsoever. It's kind of a bold move, but it, you know, it depends. Some patients are on lower diet levels than they needed to be. Yeah. And then a lot of places have something called basically like a dysphagia management protocol, which I think is really important. We all probably do something. It's like a a quick invisible document that includes their diet level, medication administration recommendations, their supervision, cueing needs, positioning, aspiration precautions, how their tray needs to be set up, et cetera. And then the other thing about the evaluation is the documentation of what you're getting from acute care. And I know that this is the same probably everywhere. Everyone's like, I don't get enough documentation. But then sometimes 
you still do get the documentation. You're like, I don't, what does this mean? I just see aspiration and penetration. And maybe if you're lucky, what strategies didn't work, but no pathophysiology. So isn't your in isn't your inpatient rehab connected to your main hospital? Yeah, it is. So, but not and, all. And you still are missing some information. But no, it's not. Not every patient comes from our hospital. Oh, okay. So it doesn't feed directly. Gotcha. Correct. Okay. So gotcha. I mean, a considerable amount, yes, but definitely not all. I don't even. Gotcha. I don't actually know the proportion. So it varies. Yeah. We may never get it, which basically means. I'm kind of starting over. I'm going back to the bedside and then figuring out the instrumental and welcome to Sniffland. Right, right. It's, yeah, yeah. Which is so frustrating for the patient because, like, I just had that camera stuck up my nose five days mm-hmm. ago. Yeah, you have to do it again. And I'm yeah, like, yes. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you or your facility is interested in a true high definition endoscopy system created specifically for SLPs by an SLP please check out our awesome sponsor, EndoHD. Uh, They create a maneuverable design that provides convenience to do fees in more locations in the hospital, the ICU, CCU, PICU, exam room, patient room. At Altara Vision, they combine cutting-edge technology with clinician-inspired devices and phenomenal customer service to make some of the best imaging devices in the country. So please contact www.ndohd.com forward slash contact to discuss your specific fee systems requirements, pricing, or to request a live product demonstration. That's www.ndohd.com forward slash contact. So the other thing I want to talk about was the group that I kind of run. We have a, a dysphagia intervention group. It's basically, we call it DIG. Oh, fun. How yeah. cute is that? Thanks. So it's basically only for patients with dysphagia on some kind of modified diet, unless they actually need strategies in order to be safe for the diet. And the purpose of it basically is to provide, you know, dysphagia management inclusive of diet advancement trials, queuing, trying new strategies, social support, group education about aspiration, about dysphagia, group exercise, which is hilarious seeing like three or four people do pitch glides at the same time. They're all laughing at each other most of the time. Yeah. But and it's one of the things that I, I know, like I can kind of hear, I think it's advice in the back of my head. Oh my God, meal washing is not treatment. Agreed. These patients, a lot of them are, if they're in the group, they're cognitively impaired and there's no way that they would be able to do those strategies without some kind of cueing. So we have this really cool agreement with our rehab techs and with some of our recreation therapists where one meal a day, they will be with them to get queuing. And then one meal a day, they'll be with me. And my job is basically to train them kind of like how you would in a sniff, how you would train a CNA or a nurse about their strategies. And then when they're with me, it's more focused on, are we doing a McNeil type approach? Or am I trying new strategies with you? Am I seeing if you can come off of them? Are we trying a new diet level for the day? Am I trying to get you to believe me? Yes. (laughs) When you chug and cough and cough and you're like, oh, it's the air in here. I think that it's really cool. And it's, it's beneficial in like a kind of an emotional support way that they're seeing at that level in the hospital that they're not the only one, you know, eating the soft food or with the thickened liquids temporarily. And 
it's always funny and yeah. really interesting to watch how they bond over that because otherwise they're just sitting in the room by themselves thinking, man, this is terrible. I might be the yeah. one in here. Do you think, because I, I know one of the big gripes against dysphagia groups is that it's difficult or basically next to impossible to individualize the treatment. So like, you know, having four people doing, you know, pitch glide exercises at the same time, I'm assuming knowing you, Taylor, that you would know that all four of them could benefit from pitch glide exercises. But I just know that the big gripe is that it's next to impossible to individualize that. And I would love for you to kind of talk about that a little bit. That is that is a constant challenge, especially when I'm training other SLPs or CFs or students kind of how to do that. I will say learning to do groups is a skill and it's not something that everybody has or that had that they, you know, have straight out of grad school. The funniest thing is that I think I learned the most about group therapy from my school SLP rotation. <laughs> but basically, how do you set people up with enough to do to keep them busy or divide your attention adequately between them where you're doing something effective. And then it's interesting to see how sometimes the patients will start cueing each other, how they'll be like, you didn't turn your head all the way. Interesting. Or Mr. Smith, that is a massive bite. Are you kidding? <laughs> He's eating the whole piece of pie. I know. I love it. <laughs> but so what I will typically do is if, you know, while they're eating, if they can attend to both, you know, talking about aspiration, aspiration pneumonia, kind of doing group education in that way, because I kind of feel like otherwise I would be saying the same thing over and over and over again every day. And in my one-on-one -on -one time with them, I want to be targeting, I want to be rehabbing, not yeah. just educating. You know, education is important, but at some point you got to be doing, putting. I think I love that point, Taylor. I think that's such a good point because I feel like, like today I did four fees in a row and I felt like I educated them all on the same exact thing. Like it would have been great to just pull them all into a room together and be like, listen up, all of you. You're all at risk. Like <laughs> Beware. You all have horrible oral care. You all have. Yeah. your toothbrush and your toothbrush and your toothbrush. <laughs> And I have literally done that before. I've had them like bring up their basins with their like toothbrush and toothpaste. And I'm like, all right, we're going to do oral care before we eat. And I'm going to show you what I mean by oral care. Not like your front teeth. Here's your pink sponge and your cup of water. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're debreeding your mouth. <laughs> but also I can kind of move back and forth between exercises with them. So I can, like if I have a CTAR ball or a CTAR like device and it for, for the patients for which it's appropriate, I'm not just blanket throwing out everybody in this group is getting these exercises. So it's definitely, by this time I've determined, you know, what their pathophysiological impairments are and what their, the intensity that they're able to handle in their one-on-one -on -one session with me. But if, you know, they're, I mean, today this guy opened his, the lid on his tray and his food was just so piping hot that he needed to let it cool down. And I was like, you're not just going to sit here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here you go. Let's, we're going to do some CTAR and then here's, you know, you, you can start with your liquids and start doing some effort for swallows. 
and then we'll kind of pass that around. But it once you, when you're seeing the same patients every day, you kind of get into a habit of being able to tell what it is that they're doing behaviorally and that, you know, they're not, they don't need to be in there every single day. And I don't like to keep patients in there for a while. So if they're, because of cognitive issues, if they're, you know, mod assist to remember to alternate bites and sips and do a left head turn, I mean, I am an SLP and it is, it's billed as a speech therapy group. It's not specifically a swallowing group, although that is the purpose of it and that's the target audience. So in my mind, it is, I am working on some of their attention and their memory with their swallowing for something that they actually functionally need. And I, you see them improve where they need cueing and then they get so tired of me, you know, kind of <laughs> annoying them while they're trying to eat that they will start doing it. And then once they've got it, they're out of the group. The, it's really kind of like a, a, a skill practice. A lot of us have this background in education and we think that sometimes we just give these recommendations and they get it and that's it. And that there's not this learning process that needs to go on for something as intuitive, reflexive, and repetitive as eating. Yeah. That now someone with a brain injury or a stroke or some other kind of diagnosis against cognitive impairment is not just going to be able to pick up on that. And I, I don't want to further impair and inhibit my patients by having them on a lower diet just because they're not going to be able to get the cueing needs that they need to learn those skills. Now at dinner and things like that, or if they are, if they have dementia or something, you just know they're chronically going to need those cues. That is when we try to set up, you know, with the the rehab techs or with the nurse aides to train them on the strategies. But it, it's a, it's a kind of a, an ebb and flow of, you don't want to put yeah. too many patients, you don't want to weigh down nursing. I like to be the right. ISS already, right. but you know, it's not putting so yeah. much on them. I, it just is such a delicate balance. Like I just think Very true. Know, there's some people that'll say that dysphagia group should never happen. And I don't know that I agree with that, but then there's also, you know, you're not the CNA sitting there feeding right. for patients. Right. Right. And that's the other thing. These patients are feeding themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of just love that dynamic movement that you have going on, Taylor, of like, okay, you're the, you need, you know, assistance with queuing. Okay. You're good. Get out. Right. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> and it is, it's never, I want to like it reiterate and focus. It is never in place of their one-on-one -on -one treatment time ever. It is in addition to, I love that. So in the, and the cool thing is where I work, if they have dysphagia and they're appropriate for DIG, they're in that group. They're not getting a PT group. I kind of have like superseded. I've made it blunt to them that, listen, I can get them in and out of this thing. They're not going to be in the group the whole time. Give me a couple days, maybe a week. Then they can do your gate group or fine motor group or vision group or whatever it is. Cool. Yeah. But it's never in place of that. The The horror stories that I have heard, you know, of groups is you've got eight people sitting at a table and for weeks and weeks and weeks. Yeah. And that's it. And they don't ever get individual. So I think that's obviously the number one key take home point of all of this is that it's never, like you said, in place of. Absolutely. Individual. 
And these pa- and the thing is, is these patients are changing. They are going to improve. And it, it, that's part of the, the balance of being a general practicing SLP where you can, you know, use your knowledge of cognition to determine if this person's going to really need it long-term and not and what the, the plan is. And, you know, not to waste their time to be efficient with it. Totally. So if you would love to hear more of these episodes and get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge, then please leave a review on iTunes or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride because that is what keeps these episodes coming. Also, don't forget to subscribe, share with your closest colleagues, and show notes will always be available to download over on swallowyourpridepodcast.com where you can also be notified of the latest podcast episodes. Also, credit to Stephanie Jacobson for her incredible editing skills, and thank you so much to all of you for listening.